We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. According to Ian Rappaport, Carlos Williams has been suspended by the NFL for four games for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. The Bills issued a statement on Friday in regards to Williams' suspension that read, quote, As an organization, we are disappointed that Carlos has put himself in this situation. Four decisions such as this affect not only the individual, but the entire Bills organization. The 23-year-old Williams is coming off a solid rookie campaign in which he backed up LaShawn McCoy, rushing for seven touchdowns while gaining over 500 yards on the ground. Bills rookie running back Jonathan Williams was arrested earlier this week and charged with driving while intoxicated. Welcome to the Rock Pile Report, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We've got a really special show today. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of ground to cover. We've got a lot of news to talk about. And we have our first player interview ever. Long snapper, Reed Ferguson on the Rock Pile Report, brought to you in part by BillsFanaticsBF.com. So that intro was Sydney Esiason from SI.com. Now, I don't know if she's related to Boomer in any way, shape, or form, but she pretty much, you know, just breaking the news that uh, Carlos Williams, uh, Jonathan Williams, what the hell, guys? We're going to tee this thing off. We're going to get started right out of the gate with this week's Bills News Update. So, as I'm sure you've all heard, Carlos Williams has been suspended this week for the first four games of the season after testing positive for a banned substance, according to multiple outlets such as Pro Football Talk and ESPN. This comes just weeks after Williams arrived in minicamp nearly 25 pounds overweight. This, this was shortly followed by a story about Jonathan Williams, who was recently arrested for a DWI. Do you think J-Dub, Johnny Williams, will be doing hard time for his DWI? I do not. I do not think he's going to be in that much trouble. Is it going to be like Bradham? Remember Bradham? Bradham did it, and then last season, he, he, 
he spent like a, a one game suspension like a year after. Well, and that's t- that's what everyone's been reporting. So in each each scenario, here's what we've got. You've got Carlos Williams. Now, we don't know what the band's substance was, but considering he came in 25 pounds overweight, I'm willing to bet... Pregnancy or munchies. It could be pregnancy, it could be munchies. We don't know. So, that means that he's going to have extra time to get into shape. You know, he's already coming into training camp needing more conditioning drills. Now he's going to have more time to get ready before he ever hits the field in a meaningful game. Jonathan Williams, on the other hand, these things take so long to play out you know, once you have an, you know, your attorney and your agent are probably going to tell you that it's best to keep kicking the can down the road as far as you can. So that if you can't, if you can't get it dismissed, you can at least delay the penalty. I yeah, just like Brad did. Everyone who saw it, like you said, it, it's probably something. We'll see a punishment come down in 2017. I would be surprised if, given how slowly some of these things come together and get resolved, that the NFL had time to really make a suspension or a move here in 2016. But these two incidents have left our running back depth chart looking kind of depleted. I, for one, think we're going to be okay, though. I mean, Jonathan Williams, like I said, no suspension this season. As long as he can figure out how to call a cab or, you know, download Uber. Uber. I, I don't know. And we still have Gillisley and James Wilder on the depth chart. Gillisley was great last year for the times that he filled in. He was okay. He was good outside of the tackles. I didn't, I think, between the two, he's more of a, I don't want to call him a scat back, but he's, the problem with Gillesley and the reason why it took, he's had such a hard time hanging on to jobs is because he doesn't run between the tackles well. He's not a true north-south runner, and that hurts him, especially in Greg Roman's offense. He, he can make some electric plays when he gets to the edge, but he has to get there. And a lot of times it's either, you know, with him what you'll see is a series of two or three-yard runs and then a 15-yarder. Or a 60-yard touchdown run because he gets that one crease. He gets that Merrill Hodge seal of approval. You get a seal here and a seal here. Oh, my God. Right through the gap. And so, I mean, Gillisley, I'm not sold on him, but James Wilder Jr. is a complete wild card in all this. And he's a guy who really many people aren't talking about. So, if anything, I think that this gives us an opportunity to see what some of these young, unheralded unheralded players might bring to the roster. You know, See if any of them can crack the 53. And in related news, the Bills have reached out to veteran running back Reggie Bush about signing for the 2016 season. Did you see what Talbot put on BuffaloFootballReport.com? I did. I did. I saw that. Five of ten. <laughs> so given the suspension you know, and all the stuff that's going on with our running back depth chart, the Bills are kind of, it looks like, trying to hedge their bets at the position by bringing in a veteran player. And this is what Ian Rappaport had to say on the matter. Well, this is something that could very well happen in Buffalo. Another team looking for a veteran presence in the backfield and some stability in the backfield as well. There's been so much flux there with Deshaun McCoy and his legal issues, although that those have now been cleared up. And then Carlos Williams, the suspension. So the Bills are targeting Reggie Bush. But when I'm told, he is not in a rush here like most veterans would like to weigh all of his options before he settles in on something. But there, this one, I am told, is very realistic. And if Bush signs there, be a pretty good chance of playing time as well. Now, I've only got two concerns with all of this. One, what does that do to our depth chart in terms of training camp reps for our rookies and our young players? And number two, what does the contract look like? I mean, does it take into account the fact that he's coming off an ACL tear? Because that's not the easiest thing in the world for a running back to come back from. I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it plays out. And I think it's worth noting that Arian Foster just signed with the Dolphins on a one-year, $1.5 million contract after coming off of a soft tissue injury. 
Now, rumor has it, it's being floated around out there, that we've offered Bush the veteran minimum. So before we people start crying, because I'm sure we're going to hear it in the coming weeks of why didn't we get Foster? You know, the Weiner line is going to be full of these types of calls over at WGR. Arian Foster wasn't going to come here with our depth chart being too deep for him to really have a meaningful role right out of the gate. And he wasn't going to sign for veteran minimum anywhere. So he took, you know, he, he kind of surveyed the landscape and made the decision that was right for him. And Reggie Bush is just doing the same thing. Yeah. Now, today, in other news, today a report surfaced from ESPN's Lewis Riddick. Hello, I've never heard of you before. When he was talking to WGR 550, Shaq Lawson might miss the entire 2016 season. What are they going to do in order to ramp up the sack production, the hits on the quarterback this year that obviously fell off dramatically last year? You know, going from, what, 54 sacks down to, I believe it was like 21 or 22, something like that. I mean, how, how are you going to get that? And how are you going to get that if the guy who you thought was going to be so instrumental in helping you do that, Shaq Lawson, had a shoulder injury that at one point you said you didn't think was going to need uh, surgery now that it does need surgery. And from what I hear, could be anywhere from he could miss half the season to maybe missing the entire season. So that, I think that's the number one question you need to answer. That audio comes here from WGR550.com. Now, right out of the gate, it was refuted by Sal Carpaccio. And then Lawson himself responded via Twitter, telling him not to believe everything that he hears. I think that this whole thing is a complete non-story. First of all, I've got a multitude of points to make here. First off, complete non-story. And I applaud Shaq Lawson for letting that analyst, I'm I'm doing air quotes here as hard as I possibly can, this analyst slash expert know it. Second off, I love how anytime you work for a publication, you can just come out and say, well, what I've heard, well, I heard from some random, who did you hear it from? If you're not willing to put a name to it or you're not, or even give a title to it, like, hey, I heard from some trainers or, hey, I heard from some GMs or I heard from some doctors. So you heard it. So what that means is you could have heard it from me when I was drunk at the bar. And, you know, at that point, it, it, it doesn't make it true. But I hate the fact that the whenever it comes to many of these guys at ESPN, ESPN, you're supposed to treat it like it's gospel because I'm an expert. I'm ESPN an analyst. ESPN gets a hard on for whenever they get a resume for a on-air studio analyst and it says that they were an intern for an NFL team. Well, we'll put you on because they hire anybody that used to do something with the NFL, whether it was front office or a player. Well, who the hell is Lewis Riddick? Does anybody out there know? Anybody? I think he worked for Tampa Bay. Let's let, let's find out, folks. Let's find out. Lewis Riddick. Let, let, let's just hit the old Google machine here and see what... Uh... All right. Lewis Riddick, formal, former American football safety in the NFL from 1991 to 1998. Now, see here? He was hired by the Eagles as a pro scout in 2008. He was promoted to Director of Pro Personnel on February 3rd, 2010. And then as of 2013, he's an on-air talent for ESPN. So, how bad were the Eagles during that stretch when he was their pro 20, scout? 2010? 2010, 2013. When, when did they play New England in the Super Bowl? Is that like... Am I oh, like, God. What? That's the early 2000s. Early 2000s. Yeah. That, well, they still had Andy Reid, right? So, so, basically, he worked for a team... As pro personnel, 
And then he comes in as a, this quote-unquote analyst and just starts throwing opinions around and hiding behind this, oh, from what I've heard. Source it. Otherwise, I don't give a damn. That's what people hate about ESPN. That's why podcasting and sports blogs like Buffalo Rumblings, Bills Fanatics BF, that's why these things, are, you know, CoverOne.net, that's why all of these websites are taking off and they're gaining popularity because nobody wants to hear any more of this garbage. These guys bloviate on things. They, they, it's, it's like they can't, they can't tell you something without telling you, you know, kind of, it's almost like condescending. Like, oh, I talk to people you don't talk to and they told me something that you don't know. You, you should just trust me because I'm so and so. We'll just ask. That's why no one cares. We'll just ask Reed later tonight when we have him on, the long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. Because Shaq Lawson's a rookie. Reed is a rookie. He's been around him probably the entire any any uh, team activity. Reed's been around. I don't you know. know. The whole thing just drives me crazy, and I think that that's what's driving traffic towards publications like ours. That's what's driving people to come listen to just normal people converse about sports. People are getting sick of ESPN. No, I sports I'm used sick. to be a huge part of a huge part of my daily routine, and now I couldn't care less. I, I as a kid in the summer, early teens, I think I watched Sports Center two or three times a day. Then, right? I remember yeah. having Sports Center on all the time. Now, I, I don't care about most of their opinions because a lot of them are wrong. I don't. We're not wrong, but their takes. Everyone wants to. Every, it seems like takes, they're all in a race. First take. They're all in a race to make a to to have an opinion, a strong opinion that hot get, take that people will pay attention to. But then they're not willing to stick by it nine times out of ten. And I just, I don't know. The whole thing just yeah, what turns me off. Yeah, first take is their best show? When you when you texted me, Chris sent me a text telling me about this whole saga this morning, and I had no clue what was happening. And when he told me, and I read everything, I laughed, and I was like, this is a complete non-story. But then it just pissed me off, so now I'm here talking about it. i got to get back to the podcast. In other injury news, we haven't heard much this offseason about Colby Lissenby at all. And apparently there's good reason for it. The sixth-round pick at wide receiver has been in the building throughout the offseason program, and you know he's been around the team. But he, in the offseason, he underwent double sports hernia surgery. Okay, he had double hernias, so he had the surgery to fix him, and now he's been dealing with an inflamed pelvis, and he still hasn't been able to work out or get any kind of meaningful reps with the team. This is a little bit bad for him because our receiver core, we know what we got like one two. But he could even make it as a three because after well, Hank, after Sammy and Bobby, it's what we who have is Hankerson, it? we have Des Lewis, we have guys. That's going to be one of the most intriguing battles to watch in this upcoming training camp. And per this report from Chris Brown at BuffaloBills.com, Lissenby could end up missing a large portion of training camp because he hasn't even been medically cleared to work out or do any conditioning. You know, it, it would be disappointing to see a guy that we drafted, you know, even if it is with a six round draft pick. Miss time because if you take a look at how how many names are at that position, all fighting for spots, it could be a big blow to his chances to even make it on the roster. Yeah, and then in in, in their final news bit here, the Bills announced today that the single game you know single game tickets went on sale yesterday. They've already sold out five home games in the first thirty six hours. That was would be the Jets. The Cardinals, the 49ers, the Patriots, and the Steelers. That in and of itself speaks to the fact that even after what was considered a down season, fans are still excited to see the team suit up and possibly break the streak. I mean, I feel like that's actually now become... I hate saying it like this. 
I'm a Bills fan. I've been a season ticket holder for a, a long time, and I've been going to games, and I've been watching the team since I was a little kid. And I go to games just to sit behind you. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a show. Or so, other times you could leave at halftime. Hey, dick. whoa, the Browns only won because I took my negativity elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't want to bring, I didn't want to drown the rest of the rest of the crowd in my sea of negativity, so I took it outside. I like, will, like an adult. I, like an adult. I will tell you, somebody sitting behind me or two rows behind me, when you left that Browns game, somebody behind me said, I used to sit in row six and I moved. Because of Drew Gear, I moved back. I moved back like four rows because I was sick of hearing Drew Gear. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I. When it comes to Browns games in particular, I've seen. I've sat through so many bad Battle ones. Lake Erie. I've sat through so many bad ones that when it starts looking like that again, I just end up drowning in a sea of negativity, and I take everyone down with me. But so I think one of the driving things between behind why I'll never give up these tickets. At this point, I can't even consider it. Isn't even so much like to go there and say, I want to know that I was there to see the streak end because it has to end at some point. Why not this season? It has to. It can't go forever. We can't be the NFL franchise that hasn't like made the playoffs, made the Super Bowl four years in a row, then made the playoffs once and then never saw it again. Dude, I think it would be totally unbelievable to watch a Bills playoff game with you. Oh, no, I wouldn't put that evil on anybody. If the Bills make the playoffs, I'll be watching it in my basement alone. No, I'm coming over. (laughs) You think you're going to make your own cheese dip? Chris is going to be in there in riot gear. So that is our Buffalo Bills news update. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about in our next segment here, NFL Network has been giving the Bills a ton of airtime. We've been getting a ton of like national attention lately. And well, they're all out there dishing out their takes on Buffalo's chances this year and everything about under the sun about Rex Ryan. They've raised some genuinely interesting topics of conversation, and I kind of want to kind of want to bring them up. First and foremost, I was listening the other day, Charlie Casserly. They he was being asked, you know, what the biggest question marks for the Buffalo Bills were on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, and this is what he had to say on the subject. Well, I tell you what, what a shock last year. You know, the Bills had a very high-ranked defense when Rex Ryan took over the unit, and basically the unit stayed intact. A couple of stats from Jim Schwartz, number one in sacks, number one in turnovers, fourth in defense. The Bills, 15th in defense, 31st in sacks, and only 12th in turnovers. I think it's a question of Rex Ryan coming in and trying to adapt his system to the players. I think you're going to see more of Rex Ryan's system in the in the, the way the Bills play this year. Now, because it's more of a he's a pressure guy, I think he's going to create it. The draft is key for him. Three key players he drafted. The first one, Shaq Lawson, he's not able to play right now because of an injury, but he's a good outside rusher. Inside linebacker Reggie Ragland. This guy could be defensive rookie of the year. Why? He's an instinctive downhill player who's going to make a lot of tackles. And then third round pick, Ohio State defensive lineman Adolphus Washington. Sure. A big, strong, talented guy, but sometimes the motor doesn't always run. I think the draft is key and the change in style and attitude on defense. We'll see more of a Rex Ryan philosophy this year. They should be better on defense. Tyrod Taylor, going into the last year of his contract, how's he going to play with pressure? And he must improve his pocket awareness. Now, 
and you look at the stats on the surface, some pretty good stats. 20 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, a 99 quarterback rating, and a 63% completion percentage. But when you break him down and you watch the tape, when people kept him in the pocket, he doesn't stay with his reads, and he'll take off and run too soon. Third down percentage, 58%. Red zone percentage, 54%. That's when a quarterback's passing skills and discipline in the pocket really come up. And that's what he has to improve upon for them to take the next step offensively. So I know that's a lot of audio there, guys, and that all comes from NFL.com. But so first and foremost, rookies being the X factor to our defensive turnaround. Now, the Shaq loss and the injury plays a big role in this. The question becomes, do we agree or disagree with Castle that the rookies, not so much scheme fit, experience in the scheme, you know, players getting used to it, the rookies are the biggest question mark there? Well, do we, let's go back, and by back I mean to our podcast, do we feel Lewis Reddick's credibility on Shaq Lawson? He's going to miss half of the entire season, refuted by Sal and Shaq himself. I, I think he'll be back. I think Shaq's going to be back. I, I think he'll be back, but I don't think I don't. I disagree with his take on this because I think that the r- rookies are great. You know, you obviously always want to be bringing in talented rookie players. You know, young, fresh guys to stock your roster. You need that, but. If history has shown us anything, it's that any team that comes in hedging all of their bets on a bunch of young and inexperienced players at the NFL level, it doesn't pan out well. I think if any sport, I would exclude baseball from this because when you get drafted as a baseball player, you literally spend like six years in the minors before you even get to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. But between basketball, hockey, and football, football is the biggest toss-up. Because mm-hmm. there's so many busts in the first round. Like, we don't know if Shaq's literally going to be as good as we think he is, mm-hmm. or Reggie Ragland, even if we had a first round grade on him. We don't know what these players are going to be mm-hmm. n- until we see him yeah, hit the field. No- and Casterly earlier this year has already said uh, Reggie Ragland for Defensive Player of the Year. Well, in Defensive Rookie of the Year, I mean, for as much as roll damn tide, for as much as I would like to see that, I just don't think you hedge your bets on rookies. I think you look to the progress Preston Brown has made. He's more familiar with the scheme. He's more familiar with the fit. You know, there's there's just a lot there that I think the the players already on this roster, excluding the, this rookie draft class, they're going to get more comfortable with what's going on, and that's going to be the key to our defensive success. I don't agree that it's the rookies. Now, on the other side of the ball, Talking about Tyrod Taylor's growth is the most important part of our offensive improvement. I absolutely agree. We had the NFL's best rushing attack, but we lost games where sometimes we just couldn't move the ball when we needed it most. The Kansas City game. We needed That's a, the worst game of the year. We needed we needed two drives, one at the end of the half and one at the end of the game. And we just could not pass because they kept they took away the seams and they made Tyrod try to throw over the middle and Chris Hogan just couldn't come up with a he couldn't come up with that one pass that should have been a completion and then there was some other you know there was some misses in there or throughout the course of the game over the middle or that deep ball Kansas City had that should have mm-hmm. been challenged yeah it's I'm just saying that if you look at our offense the Giants game where we just could not. When he got in the red zone, Tyrod Taylor's red zone completion percentage is only 54%. That is the area of the field where you have to be the most dangerous because you you need to capitalize. You can't settle for field goals every time you get inside the 20. You can't. Plus, everybody likes to look at his 
interception number at six from last year. Mm-hmm. You never threw over the middle. No, and if you're in the red zone and you know the team, now you're be- I feel like for passers in a vertical offense, the red zone is the most dangerous spot in the field because if you are a quarterback who thrives in a vertical passing game, using the seams, using the out routes, the sidelines, what you, where you run into trouble is that when the field condenses and those safeties don't have to go very far because they know you can't throw it out of the back of the end zone, so they just sit in a zone and they camp. That's where your turnovers come from. And so the fact that they avoided throwing over the middle so often last year really hurt him in, you know, in the sense of what he was able to accomplish in the red zone. Yeah, a lot of times he's not, he, reading, he's not reading linebackers. No, he just took off and ran. A lot of times he would just try to take off and run it, and we'd end up settling for a lot of field goals, which will not win you football games. For as often as we were able to get to that side of the field, we needed to capitalize more than we didn't, and that's why we were eight and eight. I think this year, if we're going to be better, it's going to take a lot of progression from Tyrod Taylor. Now, over at BuffaloBills.com, they did an interview with Greg Roman, and he had this to say about Tyrod making those steps. I think it goes back to it's a year one to year two thing. And uh, Tyrod had the ability to uh, get a body of work underneath him and um, really study it hard throughout the offseason. I think we pinpointed some things we wanted to work on specifically try to orchestrate those situations in practice as much as possible. And the bottom line is, is I don't care uh, who you are as a coach. I don't care if you've been coaching five years, 30 years. In order to take those steps, the player has to, it has to come from the player. The player has to embrace the challenge of, uh, you know, uh, self-examination, self-awareness. And uh, he has done that A++. plus plus. Uh, couldn't be happier with his commitment to that process. It sounds like he's putting the work in. I mean, they're, they're all saying nice things about him. But just from reporters and things like that from minicamp, they said Tyrod Taylor was far and away. You know, he, he really looked like he was in command. He was building a rapport with receivers who had never played here before, Leonard Hankerson being one of them. There was a lot of talk about how Hankerson and Tyrod looked like they were in sync a lot. Like, they got some things going there during minicamp. It'll be... It'll be interesting to see if that kind of chemistry, you know, who he builds with and who he can, who he learns to trust, because he's got a good pass catching tight end in Charles Clay. He's got a great wide receiver in Sammy, but he's also got guys like, you know, Greg Little's knock has always been his hands. You know, he's a he's an athletic receiver. He just drops a lot of footballs. You got the other tight end, Blake Annan. Mm-hmm. He's getting a lot of talk and in the mini and training and coming into training camp. He's going to be looked at like, I don't want to say exactly Jimmy Graham, but that type of tight end. Well, and again, it's all going to come down to who he can build his chemistry with. Because if he's going to start trying the middle of the field more, he's got to find guys he can trust. He's got to find guys that he knows he can get on the same page with. And it took him, what, eight weeks to get a a trust with Sammy? Yeah, it took some time for that to really gel. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out come training camp. So far, it sounds like so far so good, but we'll have to wait and see. And then in, in another separate interview, now they had Marcel Darius on air with Willie Sailor Marcel Darius. <laughs> yeah. First off, he starts off his interview with Willie McGinnis. He starts off his interview, he comes in wearing like a polo and jeans, Bob. Like just a random sailor's hat. And when they ask him about it. Maybe it's a signed sailor's hat. And by signed sailor's hat, I mean it was signed by Cardale Jones, who sailed down the Buffalo River. Oh, my God. 
Get get out of here. You should have to go stand in the corner for that. 12th gauge signed his hat. <laughs> so he had a lot of interesting takes during the interview and uh, some of my favorites. We're going to stop and talk about them. First off, Marcel Darius on Tom Brady. I love, I, I love playing against Brady. It just it gives me a, it gives it, I get up for him. I've been playing against him every year, and he, he knows he knows I'm coming. So for him not to be out there it just kind of tears me up a little bit. But the second time I see him, uh, we're gonna be excited to play against him. I think his opinion ties into the sentiment that a lot of fans have. A win against the Patriots, you know, a Patriots team would kind of ring hollow without Tom Brady under center. You know, I mean, we beat Garoppolo once already in Foxborough. We've done that, and we should I, do it again. I couldn't have felt more indifferent about that football game. Couldn't have cared less. I'll be one hundred percent honest with you. It was I, a week seventeen. I couldn't. It was our first win. I believe it was our first win ever yeah, but, at but their I, new stadium. But I don't count that. Like, yeah, to me, because it wasn't against Brady. Yeah, exactly. If you, <laughs> he has been the arch nemesis of Bills fans for more than a decade. You have to beat the guy. I feel like he's you been a nemesis of the Bills since the seventies. <laughs> he's like been around that long. It just oh no, it feels like forever. Yeah. It just feels like forever. And then he talks about wanting to play until he's forty five, and I keep thinking, I don't know if I can take six more years of this. I can't. I cannot. And then later on in his interview, he went on to kind of talk about Rob Ryan and what kind of an impact he thinks he's had on the team since he showed up. Man, the defensive backs, he, he's, I feel like he specialized with them guys because their communication was so much better right. than it was last that's year. That's one, that's, one, that's one big reason he said we won because you can just see the energy from them guys back there. They're just pumped to be out there. They're excited. They know what's going on. They know how to talk to each other. They got the signals down, and Rob brings that energy. He brings that energy for them guys to want to be out there, to want to know what's going on. So hey, I can't wait to see what he got for us. I think that's interesting. I, I think it was a smart move for him to pull not only Rob, but also Ed Reed and put them into coaching roles with our team. Because the exa- it sounds, according to Marcel Darius, it sounds a lot like it's having the desired effect in our secondary. You know, you're taking a group of guys who last year really struggled. I mean, our pass defense was one of the main reasons that we lost a lot of football games. Teams scored a lot of passing touchdowns on us. Kansas City. Kansas City, the Giants. This is the yeah. worst game on our schedule last year was Kansas City. The Giants game, um, just trying to think of who else. You know, that was penalties. Giants was penalties. Giants was penalties, but then there's also, you know, there's the, the passing touchdown that came from that guy not being able to tackle and the coverage being rolled the wrong way. It was like a screen pass. Yeah. And then just, there was a lot of, a lot of things that went wrong for our secondary. There was a lot of games. That Houston game should not have been as close as it was. We should have blown them out. But our lack of ability to cover the pass just really left us hanging and kept that game close until late. So to hear that they're making strides now with Ed Reedenhouse, with Rob Ryan, guys who know the defense like the back of their hand and can communicate it to these guys, can get them put into the right spots and show them what they need to do from, from not only a coaching perspective but a former player's perspective, it's, I think it's really going to help us on defense. And then this week over at Bills Fanatics BF, you know, you go check out their Facebook page. These guys posted a question to their fans, and the results were really interesting. If anybody wants to go check it out, I'm going to tweet out the link after the podcast. Here's the question that they raised. 
Would you, as a Bills fan, stick with Tyrod Taylor? Or would you rather spin the wheel of existing quarterbacks? You know, they have an illustration of the wheel, and it's every quarterback, you know, every court, every team, and their starting quarterback or their quarterback situation around the NFL. Almost like a game of Russian roulette. And then just be stuck with wherever you land. What kind of gun is it? <laughs> I'm picturing a potato cannon. A potato cannon. So Non-lethal. I think it's an interesting question because on one hand, yeah, there's the Roethlisberger's, the Rogers, the Rivers. You know, those, those guys are all out there to be had in this scenario. And I can see why people would rush to line up and say, screw Tyrod, let's take a spin here. That would be me. But on the other hand... There are a number of quarterback situations that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. What if, nightmare scenario, what if we decided to gamble, Tyrod Taylor goes elsewhere, and we decide that we can do better, and we ended up with Ryan Fitzpatrick back in a Bills uniform? Or the Browns quarterback situation, where they've literally just got a bunch of washed-up players who are going to fight it out to see who can be the worst quarterback in football to start an NFL game this season. I would spin that wheel. <laughs> You're crazy. I would if it look, if this came down to like if you threw in like contract speak and everything cuz what we've been talking about like what seems all summer, we keep in Tyrod, we keep in Stefan. I want Stefan because I believe defense wins championships and I think there are a lot of better quarterbacks out there than Tyrod. I will say, to your argument, I don't think there's a single cornerback in football worth $15 million. You can't convince me that that's a thing. I, 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 I don't think a cornerback in the NFL is worth $15 million a year. I don't, care what, I don't care what Dan Snyder wants to do with his money. If he wants to crumple it up and burn it in front of his house for warmth, that's fine. It's his money. I don't give a damn. But at the end of the day... <laughs> Drew, it's going up every year. We just saw Von, you know, you Von know, Miller just signed for $70 million, you know guaranteed. Else? You know what else it's is going go up? up every year with every free agent that's as good as Von Miller. You know what else is going up? My blood pressure. The more you keep taking just the dumbest the dumbest stances on stuff like cornerbacks. Okay, cornerbacks and wide I want receivers. a great defense. defense cornerbacks wins. and wide receivers are the same exact thing. Okay, they're they are the they're the skill position guys at their respective positions. Cornerbacks, wide receivers, running backs. I lump them all safeties. I lump them all into the same group. You guys are the specialists. You guys are the skill guys. You know what? Yes, if you have a stacked secondary, yes, you can win a Super Bowl. The Seahawks proved that. Okay, they had the Legion of Boom, and they won a Super Bowl, and boom, and they went to another one. So you can do that, and that's great. They don't get there without Russell Wilson, though. Please, no, the look on your face—Are you retarded? Yeah, I am retarded. What did Russell Wilson do that Super Bowl? Tell me. I had a, a Twitter argument with. Uh, what did the he host? do that season to get them to the Super Bowl? I don't know. He threw game-winning touchdowns. He. Um, uh, he kept. Oh, he the, also threw his first touchdown in the Super Bowl after Seattle yeah. was up twenty nine to nothing. He doesn't matter. He kept, defense won that game. He kept. Hang on, in the game against Green Bay to get them to the Super Bowl, he kept them in it. He kept them in the football game, and then in overtime threw the game winning touchdown. You have to have a quarterback who can lead your team to victory. All right, let's go to two thousand and eight. You're telling. Okay, so then by your logic, I can feel the defense. 
I can field Seattle's defense, Marshawn Lynch, the Seattle offensive line, and I can put Josh McCown under center and they still go to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. Is that what you're trying to tell me right now? They might be able to. Oh, you're friggin' high. How many of those did you have? I had uh, Logan Berry and Vodka, and I'm on my second Christ. Blue Light Royale. Well, that's why. Let's go to 2008. What was 2008? The Patriots went 16-0. and I don't even think that they scored less than 30, and they get to the Super Bowl against the Giants, and they only put up 14 points. You're drunk. Is Eli, that's Eli's deal. Eli held New England to 14 points. Or 2001, when the Patriots beat the Rams 20 to 17. Well, it was because they stole their signals. Their defense was wasn't that good. <laughs> Still, that's right. They did steal signals. But the two, two of the best offenses in NFL history, the 2001 Rams, the 2008 New England Patriots, both went to the Super Bowl and both lost. They put up less than 20 points, and they were the best offense all season. Let's go out in the street and fight. I will take you down. <laughs> oh, well, whatever the case is, clearly we're not going to agree on it. Let us know what you guys think. And why don't you head over to the Bills Fanatics BF uh, Facebook group and let them know what you think. You know, take a look at it. All right, everybody, we've got a real treat for you. It's our first ever player interview. We've got current Buffalo Bills long snapper Reed Ferguson on with us. Reed, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We appreciate you showing up. I've got just a ton of questions, so I'm just going to launch right into it. Um, first and foremost, Reed Ferguson comes from LSU as their long snapper. Now, if anybody out there listening, I'm sure you all know college football. LSU is a great program. They've got a great, I mean, their head coach is fantastic. The Mad Hatter. It's, it's, he's even got a great nickname. I'm a Tide fan. Saban doesn't have a sweet nickname because I'm pretty sure he would just yell at anybody who tried to give him one. I like Gus Malzahn because he goes to Waffle House after wins. <laughs> but so, Reed, I have to ask, playing at LSU, what was it like playing for a coach like Les Miles? Uh, it was it was great. You know, um, that was when making my decision, you know, where to go for college. Um, they, you know, everybody tells you don't don't try to go. Don't go for the coaches. Um you know, because coaches change. And, and that actually happened to me, my special teams coach, uh, after my first two years. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed him. He was a great coach for me, but he moved on to the NFL. Um, but, you know, going there, uh, you know, for Coach Miles, that was a big part of my decision. Um, you know, every time I was down there, I, he treated me and my family like, like, like family. And, um, you know, every every experience I had when in the recruiting process, um, you know, it was great with him. All the conversations, I mean, he treated me like I was already a player on the team. So uh, when they talk about Coach Miles being a player's coach, you know, there's not really a better term to describe him. Now, were you scouted? Were you a walk-on? Did you Were you offered a scholarship out of the gate? Like, how did you end up at LSU? Uh, well, they hold their, uh, every, you know, every summer they have, all kind of camps for all the positions and um they have a kicking camp uh once it once sometimes twice twice a summer uh and i started going to that after my freshman year of high school so i went three times um you know kind of got got my my face in front of them uh a, a number of times because i knew that was you know that i had i had the skill to to play in college i didn't know where but um, you know, I also went a certain, you know, a number of other places, went to Alabama, you know, 
went to Tennessee, uh, went to Auburn, kind of went, uh, I went out, I even went out to Oregon. So just kind of tried to, to go as many places as I could try to get my face out there and my name out there. Um, and LSU ended up offering me a scholarship, uh, as well as Tennessee and San Diego state. Um, and eventually I, you know, I chose to go to LSU and I, I would definitely do it over again if I could. I was going to say, if, if, if you had gone to the Vols, man, I mean. Well, both parents went to Tennessee, but they actually, uh, they didn't push me at all, so that was good. Well, see, then that's important. You know, they let you kind of make your own decision. Right. And if you look at their sports programs, I think you made the right one. Did, uh, now, did you influence your brother to go out to LSU? Uh, I would like to think I did. Um, you know, ever since I was down there, um, even – even when I was, you know, doing my recruiting visits, he, he was, he uh, was snapping. Had just started snapping as well. He started in seventh grade. I started when I was in eighth grade. So, uh, you know, kind of the, the same age when we started snapping. But um, whenever I would go down for camp, uh, he would come down as well. Um, so, you know, and also after I got there as as a as a player. Uh, I mean, he kind of fell in love with the place just as much as I did. So I think all, you know, all along, uh, you know, all the trips, all the games that, that my family would come to, um, you know, every week, they, I think they, they did make every game in my college career, which is great. Um, you know, he, he fell in love with the place, and, you know, I think he, he, he wanted to go there just as bad as I did. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. So I have to ask, LSU against Alabama. Now, I'm assuming you were on their team this past season. Yes. So when they played at Bryant-Denny and, you know, just everything had happened, the running game didn't get going. I mean, Leonard Fournette, it seemed like he kind of, after that game, he just didn't seem like the same type of guy. It's almost like it, you know, took the wind out of his sails a little bit. From an offensive, you know, I guess a special teams player's perspective, but also, you know, being kind of in touch with the offense and you're watching what they're doing and seeing that. What what kind of stuff did they do after that game to try to get him going again? Uh, well, I, I mean, a lot of the philosophy, uh, definitely with Coach Miles and, and also Cam Cameron, is is that they like they love to you know stick stick to what works. And mm-hmm. um, for the first seven games of the season, um, you know that worked. And you know, even though you know one game we had a blip in the road. I mean, props to Alabama. As much as I hate saying it, they had a a great you know a great front seven and they knew how to stop us so uh i think you know the next week as we went on we just kept kept trying to pound the ball and uh you know try to get back to what we were the best at oh and and i'll tell you leonard fournette's a hell of a running back i think that he's my feeling is that he's going to be probably in the running for the heisman again this year absolutely and i also think and i'm calling it now now this is coming from a hardcore alabama fan we have to go to your house, and just with the losses we had to the draft and our front seven and our offensive line and just we're getting a new quarterback, I don't see any reason why LSU can't come out of that game with a win. I don't. Sure hope so. <laughs> are you going down for it, or are you going to watch it on TV? Uh, well, if it matches up with the bye week, I haven't checked yet, but um, if it matches up with the bye week, then I'll definitely definitely be there. All right. <laughs> not i'll only be watching it on tv either way now what was your favorite out of your entire college career do you have a favorite game that you were a part of oh man um 
gosh, I would probably say, okay, so I have three. Uh, one, my first, uh, I'd say number three is probably Ole Miss. Uh, we played Ole Miss at home my freshman year, um, and we beat them. That was when Odell had, uh, I think it was 82-yard punt return for a touchdown, um, which was absolutely nuts. I mean, I'm, uh, that play played on ESPN for uh, the rest of the season. But um, let's see, number two, I'd put Florida at Florida two years ago. Uh, we beat them in the swamp at night uh, on a last-second 50-yard field goal. That's awesome. And, oh, it was great. That's got to be a then, crazy feeling. Like, you snap the ball – and you're just looking up, you're blocking, and you just see it going. It's it was unbelievable. I mean, there's pictures. My the kicker that year, Colby Delahousie. We always joked about it because right after the kick went in, I like I turned around and started chasing him. And um, <laughs> and there's there's a good picture that we got of me just kind of like lifting him up in the air. So we always you know like to look back on that game, but um. And then last year, Florida again, Florida at home when uh, Trent, uh, when Brett, I snapped it to Brad and he uh, flipped it to Trent and ran it in for the touchdown. That was um, probably the greatest moment uh, of my whole career at LSU. That's awesome. And now we were just talking about a little bit before we started recording. You're, you're a guy who you're a guy who likes food. You know, you're a guy who knows what he likes to eat and how he likes to eat it. What was your favorite place to eat in Death Valley? I gotta know. I'm curious. In the whole city? In the whole city. Where was your where what was your go-to when you were So I'm a big burger guy. Love my burger joints. Um and there's this place right off of campus called Burgersmith. Um I mean it is some of the best burgers you've ever had. Whatever you want, they've got anything you could think of and classic barbecue bacon cheeseburger i mean you can't go wrong do they let me see this do they have like one of those food challenges where you have to eat like a five pound burger they not that i know of but there is um a place another place in town that has um that has one and it's like eight patties eight pieces of cheese you know it's, it's like insane and it costs like 40 bucks but i never got around to it <laughs> I used to play softball for a bar that had this, uh, it was called the U, and it was it was right by uh, Buffalo, Buffalo University, and they, their challenge was a five-pound burger that was three pounds of meat, 17 slices of cheese, a whole pound of bacon. Oh, my gosh. Like, and then they basically just took a whole loaf of, like, fresh-baked bread and just cut it in half and put it in the middle. And they were like, and they were like, oh, if you can eat it in forty-five minutes, it's free. I had one friend try it, but he did it backwards because he tried to eat the cheese first. He's like, oh, I'm gonna get this cheese out of here. No, you eat that last. It's like a lead weight. Yep. <laughs> oh, straight for the burger. So now that you've had a chance to see Buffalo, you know, you've hung out here. You got to spend some time. You know, they had you in for you know OTAs, mini camp, all of that. What was your overall experience here in the city of Buffalo? You know, not being from here, how did you perceive the city? Uh, first off, loved it. You know, the city, um, I mean, Orchard Park and Buffalo, too. I, I got to experience a little bit of both. Um, both of them, are, both cities are great. Um, 
you know, especially from going back to a, from a food standpoint, um, big Italian uh, Italian food. Um, got to try some great wings at Duff's and a few other places. Um, also, the weather is great up there um, right now. I guess mm-hmm. I haven't been there, and, and I haven't been there, you know, in, in the winter time. But um, well, hopefully, I'll, you get to experience it this year. It's way better in the winter. Oh my yeah. God! Don't, don't don't lie to me, man. Um, all I remember is my first weekend in May, uh, you know, two months ago, um, it was like 40 degrees and there was like snow flurries. So it was kind of a culture shock, but I wasn't complaining after being in the heat all spring. Mm-hmm. Oh no, uh, it's definitely yeah. crazy when you, when you played football in a place that's, you know, it's, can get as humid and hot as Louisiana and it's, it's like a whole different world coming up to upstate New York to try to play football. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 all I've heard is is nothing but good things, especially about training camp. You know, I heard that the weather is just great. Um, you know, nice breeze up in Rochester, so looking forward to it. Now you kind of touched on it just a second ago, and I got I gotta know, going to Duff's with Richie, <laughs> going to Duff's with Richie Incognito. What was that like? Oh, that was so much fun. We had a great time. They. Uh, it was, uh, let's see, I guess it was about 12 of us plus Richie. Um, and they picked a few of the guys uh, to go back there and kind of make their own sauces. Um, and, you know, they kind of brought out some others while we while we kind of waited for those guys to make their own. But they brought them out. You know, they had all kind of, they had like a bacon flavor. They had barbecue. You know, they had the death sauce. Yeah. I had to try a bite and... I mean, it earned the nickname. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Now, I, gotta, I was going to say, I saw a video online of a wide receiver talking about how he tried the death sauce and it almost killed him. Gary. Yep. Gary, <laughs> Gary tried it and it, it damn near killed him. What I will say is this. being from I think he ate like three of them. Oh, wow. See, then I give him props for not being from here and being willing yeah. to take that on. Yeah. So... My softball team, when we play on Tuesday nights, we're all, I don't know, we're kind of gluttons for punishment. Because I'll tell you, the next day is not much fun. But I'll yep. go out, and what we would do is we'd be going to a bar to get beer after softball. We'd have a guy swing by Duff's to pick up a container of death sauce. And then we would just get hot wings and put the death sauce on it. And I'd probably eat five, six, seven, eight of them. And after a while, it's like your, your whole mouth goes numb. You're just yep. sweating. <laughs> it's, I, that happened to me after like two bites. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's definitely an acquired taste. But I give you props for trying it, man. Now, do you yeah, think? Do you uh, think uh, Eric Stryker, I guess, ate his words, his uh, wing comments? Did he like? Did he like Duff's? Absolutely. Everybody was enjoying them. I think he was. Uh, he was enjoying them, especially. Well, and that's good. That's that's good to know that he kind of you know because when he came out, I'm sure you saw the videos. People were even the reporters as soon as he said it were just ooh, don't talk about the buffalo wing like that. But uh-huh. it's one of those things. It's a it's a food that yeah they do it everywhere. But there's something about I mean buffalo. I think we specialize in just fat wings, and just the way that they're they're rarely ever breaded. That's the thing. There's a lot of places you'll go and you'll get them breaded and then they're kind of greasy. 
Here it's yeah. just those naked wings. They fry them up right, and then they they have a ton of different sauces, especially duffs. I in fact I prefer duffs over the anchor bar. Now I don't know. Did you get a chance to try that while you were here? Or? I did not actually on my flight up. Um, you know, up, up, up originally the lady sitting next to me uh, was kind of telling me about some places I should try, and that was the first. Um, restaurant that she recommended but i was not able to make it over there well and when you uh come in from that when you fly in because they have anchor bar at the airport try them and then you'll decide on duff's after you have anchor bar because those are the top two chains around buffalo for this is where you go for wings if you're going to come in as a tourist we're going to recommend duff's or anchor bar drew and i will recommend duff's all day long I, every I, as many people as I've asked is as many uh, different opinions as I've heard, so everybody's got their mm-hmm. own place. But Duff seems to be most popular. Now, now bef- before we get into talking about real football here, I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. I just want you to answer them with whatever pops in your head first. Okay. Got it. Xbox or PS4? Xbox One. I got it sitting next to me. <laughs> All right. Are you a well, obviously, you're a football lover. Baseball or hockey? Baseball. I'm watching the Yankees game before y'all called me. <laughs> Good Big man. Yankees fan. I brought my I brought all my gear up, uh, thinking I could make it to a game uh, on the weekend, but that didn't happen. You figured out that New York City is literally like seven hours away. <laughs> yeah, not till I got up there. <laughs> Don't worry, I. Because, you know, I used to live in Atlanta. I have a lot of friends. that I have one friend in particular, my friend Lindsay. She had called me like three years ago. Like, hey, I'm in New York City. Like, Buffalo's just outside the city. And, like, <laughs> I'm closer to Cincinnati, Ohio than I am New York everybody, City. Everybody asked me, you know, oh, so, you know, you go to the city on the weekends. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I, I didn't figure out that it was, you know, seven hours away until I actually got up there. Um. Yeah, we're closer. But, yeah, to, so that was interesting. At least I got to wear my stuff. We're closer to Toronto, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Cincinnati than we are in New York City, because there's no direct route from Buffalo to New York City. You either have to take the ninety to Albany and go straight down, or find your own way down to the Southern Tier Expressway, the eighty-six, and cut all the way across. Good lord! What are you like a human map quest? Yes, I am. Jesus, thank you. All right, and lastly, now I know you, you, you already kind of touched on it. You're a burrito guy, or are you a burger guy? Which one takes precedent? Uh, burger all day, not even close. Burger all day, not even close. It's a, going away cheeseburgers for Reed Ferguson. Now, has there, uh, has there been any rookie that uh, you've spent time with over a course of the mini camps and whatnot that you've bonded with the most? Um, I'd probably say, I mean, one of the guys would be um, my roommate, Marshall, uh, Marshall Morgan, the uh, the kicker from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, also, uh, let's see, I don't know, just just pretty much, you know, all the guys we kind of saw on a daily basis. But, um, I'd, I mean, I spent the most time with Marshall, so probably him. I think it's awesome that you brought up Marshall's name because that is literally the next question on my list to ask you. So, Marshall Morgan, kicker from Georgia. We brought him in as an undrafted free agent. 
I guess you and him are sharing a room. I guess my question is, what do you think of him as a kicker? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure he's a great kicker. Do you think, I mean, Dan Carpenter, you've gotten a chance to see kind of everybody now. You've seen, you know, guys who've played in the NFL for years. You've seen Marshall Morgan. You've seen, you know, Garrison Sanborn, our current incumbent long snapper. What is the difference, do you think, between the NCAA and the NFL? Now that you've had a chance to see it up close and personal. Right. Um, I think the biggest uh, the biggest thing is just consistency, and that's on just about everything, on punts, snaps, kicks, you know, whatever it may be, is just always inconsistent. And, um, you know, in terms of Marshall, I think he's a great kicker. He has a huge leg. Um, and, you know, also the, the guys that, that are there now, Dan and uh, Jordan and Colton, um, you know, they're all very good as well. Uh, you know, Dan uh, himself, who Marshall's going up against, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you're not in the league for as long as Dan's been in the league, you know, for, for no reason. So, and, and same goes for Garrison. Um, but, uh, you know, Marshall and I both know what we have to do. And, um, you know, that we're going into camp next week to compete, uh, compete for a spot and uh, hopefully be on, you know, running out of the tunnel with a Bills uniform on Sundays this fall. And that's the only way you can look at it, right? I mean, you guys are going out there. You guys are going to try to push whoever's there because you guys are you guys are all fighting for jobs now. Well, I get you know, with being a long snapper, like there's only 32 long snapper positions in the NFL. That's literally like the right. only position on an NFL roster where there's just one. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, I think that speaks to, you know, the guys that, that play for so long, um, you know, how good they are to keep their position, you know, for, for so many years. Um, you know, the, the Cardinals long snapper just retired after last season. He played for 18 years, I think. So, um, you know, if, if, if you're legitimately consistent and great at what you do and you love it, um, you can really make a, a solid career out of out of snapping, and that's you know obviously what I plan on doing. So, I have a question about the rule differences between college and the NFL because things change a little bit. You know, you get off the field, you, you get off the NCAA field. They they have very different rules specifically designed for long snappers in the NCAA compared to what the NFL offers. In the NCAA, there's a one second no contact rule. So you get you get to snap the ball and you get a one Mississippi in order to get your head up, get your bearings, and then block a man. In the NFL, you can't be covered. No one can line up over the top of you at all. Right. So it's kind of like the NFL's way of – they're effectively trying to give you that one second without saying you have to wait one full second. They're right. just making sure that – but it's slightly different. And the fact that you don't, you're not going to be blocking heads up as often now because now you're not going to be covered. So you're going to have to look out for the fact that inside of that one second, somebody could come into contact with the guy on your right or the guy on your left and then slide off him and hammer you and you have to be up and ready for it. How much different does that make what you do as far as getting the ball down and snapping it and then just getting up into a blocking stance? Um, you know, it, it, that's definitely um, 
one of the biggest changes um, in terms of snapping, um, you know, from NCAA to the NFL level, and that's, you know, LSU, um, the special teams coach and Coach Miles, uh, the way that they, you know, the way that they run their punt formation, uh, the snapper does not have any blocking responsibility. So, you know, for four years, I, you know, in, in games, I would snap and just, and, and usually I was the first one downfield. So, you know, this whole spring and obviously through uh, mini camp and, and OTAs the past two months uh, up in Buffalo, I was trying to hone my skill of snapping and blocking. And because that's one of the biggest things that, that coaches look for when they're bringing in a young guy or a rookie, you know, that they want to make sure that, that he can block. And, um, you know, that's something I've been working extremely hard on. And I feel like I've gotten very good at it. And uh, Coach Crossman has done a great job of helping me and uh, understand uh, my blocking schemes and the, and the responsibilities that I have. All right, so I gotta ask. So you're talking about, I mean, you're six foot two, two hundred and thirty six pounds. I'm, or or at least according to your Wikipedia. Did you know you're? I didn't know I had a Wikipedia. Did you know you're out there? Your your stuff's out there, man. <laughs> you're a big deal now. You're on Wikipedia. So I'm I'm looking at that now. I'm five eleven. And I'm 225 pounds. And yeah, I'm not, you see me sitting here drinking beer. I'm not the most in shape guy in the entire world. But I've played offense, like I played guard when I was younger until I got too, you know, the height thing. I'm 5'11. I played guard throughout my childhood playing football. And then one day they came to me and they're just like, you're too small. You can't do this anymore. So then I was kind of played, filled like a blocking tight end slash like almost H back role. I never caught a single pass. It was just getting out there and blocking somebody. Blocking is it's a very technical thing and the guys who are great at it, you know, they the, you know, when you once you get it down and you have it down, blocking is and I don't know, it's just I I would say it's instinctive and from what you're saying, you sound like you've done a lot of work to try to get better at that and it's good that you recognize that that's what it's going to take in order to stick at this level. You know, I really think that that's going to help your chances here to try to get a spot on an NFL roster. Absolutely. And just to speak, you know, add on to what you just said, you know, in terms of the technicalities of blocking, um, you know, one of the biggest things. And, and even I played offensive line in, in high school, had a great offensive mm -hmm. line coach. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, I'm, br I'm even bringing back some of the techniques that I, you know, remember from learning from him. Uh, and you know, just have just learning how to use your own leverage, no matter how big you are. That's uh, and you look at the success of offensive linemen, um, defensive linemen, even, uh, and also you know snappers that have played over the over the years. Uh, they all know how to correctly use their leverage, um, you know, when they're blocking. So uh, you know that that's definitely one of the biggest um, you know one of the biggest things that I've been working on. I know, I know you want to talk about leverage. I used to be 300. Like, I, I let myself go. You know, football for me ended early. And then I tried some other sports. Wasn't any good at basketball because I can't shoot. <laughs> Wasn't any good at baseball. I mean, I can play catcher and block the plate. That's about it. So I stopped playing sports. When I was in college, I think my sophomore year of college, I was about 348 pounds. I got into a wrestling match with a kid that I knew who was a Division 1A wrestler in high school. 
No team would take him because he had too many pot violations. But, but Philly was good, and we were all drunk at a party one night, and I thought I could wrestle this kid. You know, I'm like, he's 185 pounds. I'm going to smash him. But he knew leverage. He knew leverage, and the moment I moved, yep. he flopped me in front of a whole party full of people, and I never lived it down. <laughs> oh, man. So I got to ask, another rule difference between college and the NFL, longer field goals. Now, how does that does that have any impact on your job? Knowing that when you go out there for well, not even longer field goals, but longer PATs, when you go out there, does it change what you do from a technical standpoint? Uh, not necessarily, um, not really. Uh, you know, in college, uh, my holder was at seven, a little, a little over seven yards uh, is where I got uh, perfect laces on field goals, and then uh, in the NFL, you know. Most coaches want it at eight, so I've been uh, doing eight since I've you know since I finished the bowl game last last year, and um, it's been it's been working out well. I haven't really changed anything in my stance, um, but you know no matter where you are on the field, uh, no matter if it's a thirty yard field goal or you know a, a fifty six yard field goal, eight yards is eight yards, and that's kind of how I look at it in my head. And you know what? That's the way you have to, man. Because that's Absolutely. that's the way you have to come look at it. Is this is the job? This is where I got to get to. So this is what I'm going to do. Right. So, what has been throughout you know throughout the mini camps and the you know the, the rookie mini camp, the actual mini camp OTAs? What was your favorite drill? That's a good question. Um, let's see. I mean. Outside of just doing, uh, you know, some some live reps uh, with the punt team uh, out, you know, out, out during practice, we uh, you know, the specialist while offense and defense was going, the specialist we'd be, you know, doing our own thing, you know, getting our reps in, uh, kicking, punting, and snapping. So um, I guess just you know honing my blocking skills, uh, snapping to Colton while he was you know getting his punts, mm-hmm. uh, his punt reps. Um, you know, I think that that probably helped me the most. And so, I guess it sounds—I mean, it sounds like you have the right mentality coming into camp, getting ready for all this. I just got to ask: Have any of the guys reached out to you about some of the ins and outs, the nuances of training camp that maybe some guys who haven't been here before don't know? Um, a little bit uh, when we were uh, up at. You know, st- when I was still up in Buffalo for OTAs and, and minicamp, uh, we would talk about it a little, little bit. Um, but a lot, you know, a lot of it is mm-hmm. a learning process, and that's kind of how I'm going into it, trying to take in as much as I can. Um, kind of how I did when I first got up, you know, up there in May when mm-hmm. I was uh, when I was br- kind of brand new to the whole to the whole deal. So, and still am, um, you know, pretty much. So. Uh, you know, I'm going in next week with an open mindset, but also knowing, you know, that I'm going up there to take care of some business, and uh, that's kind of the mentality that I, that I have mm-hmm. set in my mind. Has anyone told you about renting a mattress? Uh, no, I have not heard of that. Oh, then they're trying to get one over on you. Don't let them punk you, Reed. It happened to Mario Williams. He showed up for his first day. And no one explained to him that if you don't rent a mat, like everyone, all these players, all the veterans, they call Rent a Center. 
Okay. And they rent a mattress for the week or the month or whatever. You know what I mean? However long they're like, this is what I'm going to need. They rent a mattress because if not, you're sleeping on those dorm beds. (laughs) And after a day of going through what you guys go through, do you want that? I mean, seriously. Yeah. 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 So do yourself. I'm going to have to uh, bring up a little cover with me, a mattress topper. I would, I would do yourself a favor and see if you can't get down to rent a center and just pick it. You know, just like I said, even if you rent it for a month, rent a good mattress because it, it makes a world of difference. I still remember those tiny dorm beds. It was brutal. I'll definitely have to check that out. Thank you for the advice. <laughs> Anytime. Have you had a chance to talk to Garrison Sanborn? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, we've been working together since, you know, since they showed up, uh, you know, since they've been at, they've been at workouts and, you know, we finished mini camp, had OTAs and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, gotten to know each other a little bit, um, you know, on a daily basis, you know, meetings and practice and stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's been good so far. Well, like you said, man, it's, He's a good guy. You're you sound like you're a great guy, but at the end of the day, you got to show up and take care of some business, right? Right, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris and I will both be rooting for you. Okay, come come training camp, dude, I'm going to be a big Reed Ferguson fan, dude. If you honestly make the team, you and I don't know what you do for a living, Sitch. I got a second bedroom here <laughs> in my apartment. I'm not too far from the stadium. All right, just Chris. as long. <laughs> As you oblige to coming on our podcast every Wednesday, oh my that god! That you don't have to, you don't have any team activities going on Wednesday evenings. Reed the, Ferguson on the Rockpile Report. If the man makes the Bills roster, he's going to have a lot bigger things to to worry about than the the Rockpile Report. But Reed, we really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your night to come chat with us here. You know, for us, for our fans, for everybody else out there who wants, you know, maybe we just want to get to know a little bit more about you. I definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to come on and, and hopefully give you all some uh, some good, uh, good intriguing information. Oh, absolutely. It's been so much fun. Guys, that's Reed Ferguson. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.